Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible study coming to you from the Rick and Bubba studios. Uh, we're, we're excited that you are here. Uh, we are continuing our journey uh, through the book of Genesis. We are now in month number 10. Uh, and today we will be in Genesis 39. Genesis 39, if you want to go ahead and turn there, or you want to, however you're looking at Scripture, uh, get ready uh, because today we will walk through. Uh, a lot of things that, uh, that that may be familiar to us, but boy, there's, it, it's rich again this week. Uh, so we'll do that. Now, before we jump into it, I always try to update you. Uh, this Bible study is brought to you by themanchurch.com. Uh, let me hit you with uh, those of you that have been uh, praying for Bubba, uh, the other half of the Rick and Bubba show. Uh, today they had uh, the, the look at all of the pathology stuff. And his doctors really believe, and just want to say thank you for all your prayers, that as of right now, they have removed all cancer. Uh, they can't find any indication that he has cancer anywhere else in his body. Uh, and uh, as uh, we, we are cautiously optimistic uh, that as – well, we can say this with no reservation. As of right now, uh, Mr. Bussey is currently cancer-free. Uh, so, uh, so thank you for your prayers, uh, and uh, they're not going to do any more chemo or anything like that right now. All they're going to do is scan him every 90 days uh, just to, to be uh, overly cautious, but they didn't see anything that would indicate that he needs any further treatments at this time. So praise God for that. And, uh, and as Bubba said, praise God if it had gone another way. But, um, but we are thankful uh, for that grace, uh, and hopefully that will be the, the end of that. Uh, but uh, some other things that I want to make you aware of that are going on uh, with uh, with the ongoing, you know, Jerry, who's been uh, in this Bible study for uh, almost all of the eight years, he continues to recover at home from his back surgery. So thanks to all of you that are praying about that, uh, and uh, he just continues to recover. It just it's just it just it's just a hard thing. But at least he's home now, uh, and uh, and is continuing to recover and maybe watching right now. So if you are, hey Jerry. Uh, so let's look at some things that are going on with themanchurch.com. First of all, let me hit you with a couple of man church opportunities that you can go to a, a market and see the men's discipleship strategy underway. Uh, which you can find at themanchurch.com. On October the 23rd, uh, a couple of them going on that day, Rich Wingo will be in Warrior, Alabama at Crossroads Church. They're, they're deep into the strategy, and uh, this is their, they're in the second curriculum, and uh, this is their next man church, and Rich Wingo will be there. So if you can get there, you can join those men, or if you're part of that church, be sure you get that on your calendar. Also, on October the 23rd, uh, they, this will be their second man church. They just started the curriculum about 10 weeks ago, uh, and I'll be speaking at the church at Liberty Park in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, and uh, I'll be there for their man church coming up on the 23rd, and you're welcome to join me for that. Or if you're a member of that church, uh, be sure that you are there. Looking ahead, November the 4th, in uh, here we got men from Valleydale. Uh, that's my church, and uh, we're going to have Rich Wingo there. And this is going to be a chili supper as well. As I said many times, only men's ministry would have the idea of filling men full of chili and then going to a worship service. So... Um, I have a feeling that I hope we're going to need an interpreter because we're going to hear some sounds. Uh, so anyway, November 4th, that's Birmingham, Alabama, uh, and Rich Wingo will be speaking there, my dear friend, and uh, what a powerful, devoted follower of Jesus, and boy, he he will challenge us. So make sure you're with us. There's no charge for that. Just just be there. Okay, and then Mark Garnett will be in Crestview, Florida, First Baptist Church, Crestview, on November the 5th. 
and so make plans to see him. They've been doing the men's discipleship strategy. Uh, and then coming up on November the 6th, I'll join Mac Powell uh, in Americus, Georgia, at Central Baptist Church for their fall festival. Uh, and Mac uh, Powell will be in concert, and I'll be bringing the message there. That's coming up on November the 6th. Uh, and then uh, you can uh, owe Friendship Baptist Church in uh, Finger, Tennessee. Are you supposed to say Finger? Tim Ashley, pastor, will be there, part of our Man Church team, on November the 12th. That is ticketed, so uh, look at themanchurch.com to get your tickets for that. And then Brian Gunn on November the 13th will be at Bay Springs Baptist, Dothan, Alabama, uh, speaking at their next Man Church. So uh, that's all at themanchurch.com. You know what else you're going to find there? And, I, and And I'll let you look at it. The first ever Man Church Conference. We're excited about this. I got an email today from Savannah, Georgia. Guy said, we got 30 men. We got 30 tickets today. We're on the way. This is going to be a little bit of different type conference. It's going to be more like a convention for the manchurch.com. If you're one of the over 540-something churches that are doing it now, obviously you want to bring your men and come down there and talk about how it's working for you. You'll hear some of our teachers that you hear us talk about all the time during this Bible study. Uh, we'll have Rich Wingo there. I'll be there. Andy Blanks will be teaching. Our special guest will be a young pastor that is just dynamic, uh, Recap Gray. He is fantastic. You'll love him. Chuck Hooten will be leading worship. So this is a, this men's conference will have high challenge. It will have discipleship, and it will have fellowship. Because we're also going to send your men's group or individual men or you and your son to big-time entertainment there in Oxford, Alabama. My hometown's hosting it at the Performing Arts Center. Uh, and when you get a ticket to that, you get to go to big-time entertainment before you leave for the weekend and also have great time of fellowship. Uh, so the discipleship will be we'll be presenting the latest resources that we have. We'll have our fourth curriculum. We'll be telling you about that. We'll have a brand-new uh, devotional that is for your personal use, a 31-day devotional that I just finished, uh, and uh, the first one that I've ever authored on my own without anybody helping me. So, you know, hopefully they can clean that up before you all look at that. Uh, but anyway, so we'll have new stuff from themanchurch.com too. So uh, so it's it's going to be unique, and the seats are reserved. So there, there's none of this going. I'm, I'm standing outside an hour and a half before it starts because I want to run in and grab a seat. Then i got to get up a Saturday morning. I'm standing outside again uh, to run in. And then the seat I had last night, somebody may have taken it today. Once you have your seats, you have your seats. Uh, and they're all good seats because it's a theater-type setup. So, uh, and it's in my hometown, Oxford, Alabama. That's about halfway between Birmingham, Alabama, and Atlanta, Georgia. So it's a good central location for a lot of you because of a – of our footprint that may it may be a trip that you can say, hey, we're going. So uh, go to themanchurch.com. You'll see the logo right there on the homepage. Click on the logo, get your tickets, and I'll see you February the 24th and the 25th in my hometown of Oxford, Alabama. Let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump right into Genesis 39. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, we're excited about the things you're doing, uh, and we want to be where you're working. And, and, and we are excited about the fruit that we continue to see from this Bible study, uh, from this uh, discipleship strategy, uh, just watching you do exactly what you said you would do if we would just simply be obedient. Uh, and Lord, I pray today that as we unpack your word, no matter how many times we've heard about this historic event, today we take away either a reminder of something we've heard before, but we need to be reminded of it again or for, for some of us, it may be today, the day that you adjust something in our life. Uh, in, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're back uh, to talking about Joseph now. You know, we veered off last week, and, and Moses wanted to tell us what was going on with Judah. 
because of the line of Judah going to Messiah. Now we're back to Joseph, and we know that he has been taken a slave. He has been sold, and Moses is going to update us on what's going on. And today, for the men in the room and the men that are watching, and ladies, of course, that watch, there's benefit for you here too. But we are going to be addressing a problem today that Satan has used since the beginning of time. I, I don't know how many people here, it doesn't matter, doesn't make you less a man or more a man, if you're a fan of football. Uh, I am. I like football. I don't worship football, but I like football. Uh, but as you know, uh, if you're playing defense, uh, if you know anything about how the game works, there's nothing that feels worse to know that the offense has a particular play and an alignment that you can't defend and anytime they line up in that alignment, they own you, and you know that they can do whatever they want to do with you. It's a terrible feeling. And, and so at some point, I don't know how many of you are fans or if you've ever played or coached, have you ever just been watching a game, a game going, are we ever going to adjust to this? I mean, every time they get in this alignment and every time we run this play, they're successful. Are we ever going to decide that that's not going to be successful anymore? We need to adjust something. Well, this is something that Satan has been using uh, to, uh, to destroy men since the fall in the Garden of Eden, and you're going to see this, but we're going to take away things from Scripture today that should be that adjustment. Okay, it should be that adjustment uh, where, where we're not susceptible to this uh, strategy from Satan anymore involving women. Uh, and, and for women watching this involving, I guess, uh, a, a man. Anything that, that that takes you into sexual immorality, this is a, this is one of the sins in Scripture, uh, throughout Scripture, and and Paul even finally says this one you just got to run from, and you're going to see that happening. Flee sexual immorality. All the other sins happen outside the body. This one happens with the body, and you don't want to take your body and and enter into sexual sin. You're taking a body that's supposed to have the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, so you would take Jesus and join him to a prostitute? You would take Jesus and you would, you, you would, you would bring him into sexual immorality? He says, this particular sin, you just got to leave. You just got to go. You don't play games with this, being a sin daredevil. And we'll see Joseph in this situation. But how's he get in this situation? So let's look at this in this historical event. It's in the story. This actually happened. Uh, so Joseph had been brought down. This is verse 1 to Egypt, so we know that's where he is now, and he's been serving as a slave. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, you remember that's who he was sold to, who had brought him down there. Okay. Why is Moses giving this this information? What's important to know that this Potiphar is a mover and a shaker. This This is actually pretty fortunate for Joseph, that he's been purchased by Potiphar, and you're going to see that he's got himself. I mean, I, when you talk about slavery, believe it or not, there are degrees uh, of, of being a slave, uh, and you know, you, you're kind of wanting to get the best gig that you can get. Uh, and so this is not a bad gig, but we're also, and the, the, the years that I've studied this historical event over and over again, there's another reason that Moses wants us to know that Potiphar has influence and that he's a mover and he's a shaker because I think that it's pretty obvious that one of the things that Moses wants us to know in the challenge that's about to come Joseph's way, that we should not imagine that this was something easy to resist.
A man like Potiphar did not have an ugly wife. Okay? Uh, I mean, Potiphar's wife is not going to be a woman that would be easy to resist. Uh, Men of this kind of ranking, they just normally would not be seen with a woman easy to resist, and I'll leave it at that. So uh, so anyway, so we see the – this is the key, though. Look at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man – and notice this. This is important. Underline this. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. So he's not out in the fields. He's not off building uh, palaces. He's not off making brick. Potiphar has put him in charge of the house. Now, I, uh, my, my mother-in-law uh, loved to talk about when she grew up, she lived on a farm with ten brothers and sisters. And they, they had to go out and pick their own cotton. Now, they didn't have slaves. They picked their own cotton. She said, but I remember vividly being envious of any of my siblings who got the house duty. She said, I was one of the females, but unfortunately, I was born at the wrong part of this group. The older sisters got to work in the house. So they're helping mom in the house, but I went with the boys out in the field because they didn't need any more of the, of the girls in the house, so I got cotton-picking duty. And I remember looking at them inside that house going, I wish I had that gig. Well, that's the same thing. If, you, if you're Joseph, you're, you're now inside running the house, and that is a much better gig. Uh, number three, verse three, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So four, so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So what's the takeaway here? The takeaway is even though this is an Egyptian pagan who worships idols, he is looking at Joseph and he's saying, the Lord is with this guy. You know, this this God that he keeps talking about, because keep in mind, he's in the house, he's over the house, he's in conversations. It is likely that Joseph has taught quite a bit about the God that he worships and the God that he serves. And, and Potiphar's been hearing this. All right, this would apply to us in our vocations. This would apply to us interacting with other people who do not believe. What is one of the greatest witnesses that we can have? Be excellent. He said, I'll tell you one thing, this guy with his faith, I've watched him. Everything this guy touches succeeds, and this guy works like like he's answering to something bigger than me. He's not in here complaining. He's not in here trying to steal from me. He's actually upright. He's actually blameless. He can be trusted. I like the way he works. It's obvious whatever he needs to get him through this faith he's established, there's something to it because I can see the impact it has on him. Would people say the same thing about you and me? I hope if you're watching this or you're in this room, I hope that you haven't claimed to be a follower of Jesus and serve the one and only living God. And if I were to talk to your employer or employees, they would say that you're lazy, no good, and terrible and have no work ethic. That would be an embarrassment to God. And there wouldn't be anybody drawn to the God you serve because you have a terrible work ethic and you're not excellent and you're lazy and, and, and you cut corners and you can't be trusted and you tell people to do one thing while you do another. 
That would be if you're actually in charge. Let me tell you something. If you want to start an uprising, be the supervisor or be the boss, and you tell the people that work for you to work one way while you work another. Buddy, it builds resentment. I mean, it is something nobody likes to feel like the person that makes more money than them doesn't work at the same level they do. And, and, And so if you claim to be a follower of Christ, everybody I talk to that deals with you should not tell me that you have a bad work ethic and that you're lazy. I should hear from all of us that claim to be followers of Christ that you get after it and that you're the best of the best at whatever you do. And whatever task somebody has assigned to you, you do it flawlessly, and you do it well. And they look at us and say, I'm going to tell you something, that guy right there has got something I don't have. Because what does what did Paul tell the church in Colossians? What, what did he tell the Colossians? Don't work like you're working for men. Colossians 3, what did he say? You work like you're working for the Lord because that's who you're going to answer to. See, think of it that way. It's real easy to be in a situation where you may not like who you work with or who you work for. You may not like them. But what what the Bible says is, but you don't answer to them. Please don't embarrass me by being someone that people don't see as a hard worker who, who, who gets after it and doesn't have to be, hey, they don't wait to do something till they're told, and they're not a kind of person that won't do what they're told. No, I, I would never, ever, if you come through, I tell every single person that desires to work at this place or to come intern at this place, I say, number one, do not walk through that door one minute late. They want to tell me all the, all the gifts they have, all the talents they have. I said, we can't even get on that. If you can't be at that door, and at the time that you got to be at that door, I want nothing to do with you. Well, how many times can I be late? You know, we say never. Never. Now, there may be something going on with a death in the family, or you may be sick. But even if I hear you had car trouble, I better cease. I, I want a picture of it. I don't, I, I mean, you know, it, but, but if you're just not getting here because you just aren't doing the job, then I, you can't work for us. I don't want anything to do with those kind of people. Because if you don't, if you can't be trusted, just like Scripture says, with the little thing, I can't trust you with the big thing. This show's going to start right on time, whether you we're here or not, and you can't miss it. And uh, and if you can't handle that, I don't care how talented you are. I'd rather work with people with less talent that I can depend on than people with mega talent you can't depend on. As my daddy taught me, he said, these multi-talented people that don't work hard, here's what he said, they lay awake at night thinking of ways to get you beat. You can't trust them. The talent's no good to you because they can't be trusted. And so God looks at us and says, can I trust you with my kingdom? Wow. You mean everything we do as a witness? That's what I mean. And Scripture says that. And Joseph had passed with flying colors. And, and, and this got him a lot of responsibility, and he is living in a way in front of a pagan that the pagan looks at Joseph and says, the Lord is with this guy. The Lord that he hasn't even declared he even believes in. But he says, what this guy tells me he believes, it's working for him. So maybe Potiphar wants some of that. 
but Satan can't have that, can he? So anyway, so he says that he's now the overseer. He's been put in a position of influence, and God will put you and me in a position of influence if he can trust us. You, you may be saying to yourself, I just don't realize, I don't understand why I can't have a, a bigger platform. Maybe he can't trust you with it. The Lord's made that clear to me in my testimony. I told you all that. Some of you already know that. I, I was certain that in, in my times of playing football, I was certain that I was going to be given a bigger platform, that I was going to be given the biggest platform in the most powerful conference. And it didn't happen. And as, as, I, as, as I was learning, as I was when I became a follower of Christ, it's clear. He didn't want to send me into that platform where I could embarrass him. I wasn't worthy of that platform. I would have done more. Look at all the damage I did with the platform he did give me. Imagine how bad that damage would have been if I actually played at a place where a lot of people see it. I didn't deserve that platform. I couldn't be trusted with it. So, so now we have Joseph being trusted with a platform, a very powerful one. So verse 6, So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Man, don't you love these kind of people that working with you? Don't you love somebody that you work with that you can honestly say, I don't even have to be concerned that everything that they're in charge of is going to be done right? I've seen this even in ministry. Some of the most embarrassing things, I, I, I remember we first started dealing with the, the men's ministry, and I remember being told by people they were going to do certain things, and they wouldn't do it. And, and, and I remember one time having to call a person who, who isn't in this position anymore, and they had told me they were going to something that we had planned where they were supposed to give a gospel message. We had all spread out and went to different – well, I'll tell you what it was. It was uh, when the movie Woodlong came out that my oldest son was in, and I was working with the Irwin brothers. So we bought out theaters, gave free tickets, and packed it full of these men – and then at the end of the movie, we got up and gave a gospel presentation to all the men that were there where we all went to different theaters because we'd bought out uh, four or five of them. And um, the person that told me they were going to one didn't, didn't go, didn't show up. And I remember calling him on the phone, and, and the excuses started. And I said, why don't you just tell me that you said you were going to do something and you didn't do it? Because he didn't have a legitimate excuse. There was no sickness, no death. There was nothing like that. He just fooled around and didn't get around to it. And he started with all this, and I said, I'm going to tell you again. I want you to say into this phone, and I want you to say to God that you said you were going to do this, and you just didn't do it. And he finally did. Do you think I ever gave him that assignment again? Well, Rick, that's not very gracious. No, it's just smart. That's just smart. It doesn't mean I don't forgive him for it, but I'm not going to trust him with it again. I don't have any bitterness about it, but but I'm not I'm not going to let him do it again. Right? And so so that that's and first of all, I'm not God. So I mean, if 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 I have set up something and I, I think I got one shot at a group of men and you've already showed me once that you might just not get around to it, well then I'm not going to give you that responsibility again. I'll forgive you if you say I should I messed up. Fine. But you're not going back. 
And see, that's the thing. It, it, sin always matters. These kind of things always matter. But now this guy, Joseph, has, has worked in such a way that Potiphar says, I have no concern about anything other than what I'm going to eat today. Everything else is handled because it's under Joseph's charge. Are you that kind of man? Am I that kind of man? Can, can we be trusted with the task? Look, and some of the people that we need to work the hardest for are the lost. We need to be working the hardest because most of us in our jobs, I'll tell you this, you know where I encounter the most lost people? Here. I'm pointing at the studio for those of you. Right here at work. Look, I'm, I'm at church a lot. There's certainly some lost people there, but you know, there's not any there that, that'll admit it openly. That at least they're pretending not to be lost. I mean, you know, that's a different atmosphere. When I go home, I'm not with lost people. It's just me and Sherry now. Okay? We mainly fellowship with other followers of Jesus. We don't fellowship with lost people. I'm talking about as far as you know our social life. So unless I'm on a mission trip, unless I'm doing something that is ministry out in the community, it's right here at work where I encounter lost people every single day. This is where it happens. And, uh, and so here he is ministering to a pagan by what, what main way? By being excellent at his job. Now look what happens next. So now this is something that has never been said about me, but in Scripture it actually says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Remember I told you way back when we talked about uh, uh, Rebecca and we talked about uh, uh, Rachel and we talked about all this stuff that I said, now you're going to hear that Joseph was a handsome man. Scripture sometimes will just tell you that. Now this is important here because it means this is why he caught the eye of Potiphar's wife. Okay, that he was easy on the eyes to her. So after a, a, a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. Moses has already told us why, and said, "Lie with me." So normally, you see that men have a tough enough time with their own pursuits of trying to get some woman to lay with them. That that's already a problem with a lot of men. Can you imagine being in a situation where a very beautiful woman comes to you and says, I'm going to make this real easy for you. I want you to lie with me. And you're in her house. And you've been put in charge of that house by her husband. Okay? So, but look at eight. But he refused and said to his master's wife, now this, this is important. Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. Nine, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you. I understand that when he said everything in my house is yours, that he didn't mean you. You're his wife, so I don't have access to you, and I, I do not have the right to take you from him. That I don't have the right to do. So once again, Joseph was clear. He knew what he could do, and he knew what he couldn't do. 
And he says, and why? Why do I know that I don't have access to you? Because you are his wife. That's the why. And then he'll give you another one that's even more important next. And I want to say this loud and clear to the women watching this and the men watching this and the men in this room. Leave people's spouses alone. You don't have any business messing with somebody's spouse. Women, you ain't got no business messing with somebody's husband. And men, you don't have any business messing with somebody's wife. That's holy to God. And the marriage bed, Hebrews 13, is to never be defiled. And anybody who does it deserves the wrath of God. You don't do that. And anybody who tries to destroy a marriage will stand in front of God, and you'll answer to him. But then he goes next. So I, I, I won't do this because your husband has trusted me with everything. He's trusted me with you. And then here comes the double down. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? We're going to hear this theme throughout all of Scripture. That's true repentance. See, you may be thinking to yourself, if you're a person of faith, well, I, I don't. Rick made one thing clear. I don't need to do this because, man, that's somebody's wife or somebody's husband. And that's certainly a good reason. But that reason doesn't mean anything if that's not holy. Why should you not mess with somebody's spouse? Because it's a sin against God. It's not just a sin against those people. And Joseph says, look, it, it would have been easy, wouldn't it? Think about it. How we justify sin? Come on, Joseph. This guy, this is some guy's got you as a slave. You've been sold by your brothers into slavery. You're down here with the Egyptians. This guy, I mean, yeah, you're in charge of his house, but at the end of it all, he's your master. You're his slave. This is your time to sleep with his wife and get him back. Does God really care if you sleep with some pagan's wife? This is your master. She wants to sleep with you. Go ahead. But what did he say? I got. Maybe I can find some way to justify if if to Potiphar. Maybe Potiphar's a bad man. Maybe he is a pagan. For all we know, Potiphar may not have been loyal to his own wife. I don't know. People in that position during that time, most, the men pretty much did whatever they want. But we don't know that. But he says it really doesn't matter. Listen, this is it. It really doesn't matter the situation. It doesn't matter how much I might be able to justify it. It doesn't matter how I've been treated. It doesn't matter if it's fair. I don't do it because I won't do that to God. Because God forbids it. And that's all we need to know. And if we will take that attitude, men and women, if we'll take that attitude, speaking from experience, you're a lot less likely to act on it. It's when you don't have that attitude you keep getting in trouble. It's when you don't have that attitude, speaking from experience. Remember David? You know, we, we, I mean, we, we're going to get to 
if we kept on through Scripture, we're going to get to David. Apparently, David was not convicted by the fact that he did this to his friend. He was not convicted that he did this to this woman. He was not convicted that he did this to somebody's daughter. He was not convicted that he did this to somebody's granddaughter. By the way, her granddaddy never got over it. None of that convicted him. It didn't convict him that he did this to his other wives. David did not have any remorse until Nathan reminded him that he did this to God. That was David's repentance. I have sinned against God. That's what turned it. And so if we will just have that attitude before we ever get in that situation like Joseph, see, understand the reason why this works. It's a lot like Daniel. Uh, you know, we learned about Daniel. Daniel already decided before he ever went into this, this pagan world with Nebuchadnezzar and, and the kings to come after that, he went into this world already knowing what he would and would not do. So you're not going to eat the food from the king? I'm not. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no need to get the ban. We're not going to bow to you. Wait a minute, well, you've done other things I've asked you to do. Yeah, because that wasn't sin against God. That was us being good slaves, good people, doing our work. But now you're asking us to blaspheme God. And we're not going to wonder if we're going to do that or not. We knew we wouldn't do that before we ever got in this situation. I will tell all of you, if, if speaking from experience, if you plan on living your life as a sin daredevil and you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to wait and see what's happening and when I get in this situation, if some beautiful woman or some handsome man wants to lay with me, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'll just get in the situation and we'll see. Well, let me tell you something. You're already going to sin. I can tell you how that's going to go. What we have to do is like Joseph's example is, and others like him in Scripture, Joseph knew he wasn't going to sin against God in this way before he was ever in the situation. It's non-negotiable. And you'll see that he really doubles down. Now, is it true that we can do the right thing and the world still make sure we pay a price for it? Yes. If we choose God over the world, it does not mean that the worldly uh, wrath will not still come down on us. Doesn't mean it's going to be fair. Doesn't mean that the world's going to treat you well. Anybody ever stood with God and the world just didn't say, oh, good for you? Anybody ever stood with God and got fired? Anybody ever got stood with, uh, stood with God and lost a friendship? Stood with God, lost money? So it doesn't always mean that if you, you know, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is from hell, it's not from the Bible. You know, it, it, and so, and you'll see that again here. Because remember, so many examples, I don't know how anybody believes the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I, I'm, there's so much scripture against it. I don't even, I guess you just have to not know scripture. Because we don't even get out of Genesis. And, and, and we're going to see Joseph do exactly what God told him to do, and it caused him problems. So, so, so here we go. So please don't believe that garbage. So, Verse 10, and she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Oh, she kept coming back. You didn't sleep with me today, but you will tomorrow. You didn't sleep with me today, but you will tomorrow. I'm going to ask you about this again tomorrow. Now, those of us in here 
that are getting older, this may not seem as difficult to, to, to us anymore. But I promise you, the young men in this room are going, this is unbelievable. Okay? You know, you may have forgotten what it was like to have that kind of drive, but it, it, it's a very difficult thing. The, the flesh really, really, really desires sexual immorality. And that's why you got to feed the spirit. And I want you to imagine a beautiful woman who is the wife of your master while you are a slave in Egypt, keeps asking you to sleep with her day after day and says, I'll cover it and make sure nobody knows. And you keep turning it down because you won't sin against God. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, none of the men of the house were there in the house. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled, underline that, and got out of the house. So this time she says, I'm going after you. Ain't nobody else here. I'm going to grab you and pull you in this bedroom. Satan, boy, he just keeps on coming, doesn't he? But what did Joseph do? What the Apostle Paul would tell us to do years going forward, you got to go. You got to flee. You got to leave that situation. He left and he fled in such haste that his garment stayed in her hand as he went. He was so committed that he would not sin against God Almighty that even when the woman who wanted to bed him physically took hold of him, he ran from her. And he's not running from a woman. He's running from sin. Do you run from sin? Do, do I run from sin? Or am I still that sin daredevil? I still kind of dabble with it. I still kind of hang around it a little bit. I'm not quite running from it. I'm not running to it, but I'm not quite running from it. I just kind of, I was just sitting here minding my own business. Suddenly this came up on the TV. Of course, I've been sitting here flipping around. You know, I, I just, you know, I, I looked over in the margins. Saw a scantily clad woman, something I was looking at on the internet. Would, would some of you in this room, if you were honest with me, would it terrify you if I said y'all didn't know this, but all of your wives, if you still have your wife, or you uh, are not single, or if you're single, people who know you, somebody who really knows you gave me your computer, and I'm about to look at the search history right now in this Bible study, and I'm going to see what you've been looking at. What would I find? I don't know the answer to that. I have no idea. But you do. By the way, I don't have your computer. You can rest. But but uh, but 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 can I tell you this? The Lord God Almighty sees your search history every day. Every day, He sees what we watch. He sees what we hear. He knows what we think. He knows where our eyes go. Have we made a covenant with our eyes that we will not look lustfully uh, upon a woman? Ask yourself a difficult question. If you're Joseph right now, how do you fare? Because this is an all-out offensive pursuit by a woman to bed him. He's got he's to get aggressive. He's got to be intentional. And he does. He flees from it. 
And you think to yourself, well, good for Joseph. He's about to get his reward right here on, on earth for being so devoted to God. No. So now she's furious. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And so, um, so anyway, she, uh, she has the garment, and as soon as she saw that he had left the garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, this is verse 13, look at 14, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. Oh, if I hadn't cried out, this Hebrew that's been here to mock all of us, well, she's turned them against him, isn't she? This this Hebrew, now she's name calling. He came in here and tried to rape me. And if I hadn't cried out, I don't know what would happen. I got his garment right here. Now, see, we, if we were writing the story, right now we'll go, oh, good. God's going to come in and he's going to prove to Potiphar that Joseph really didn't do what he did because this is a sitcom and I've written it and everything's supposed to work out the way I want it to work out. If you serve God, everything great happens for you. Now, what happens for us is that we are found in God's favor and we're standing before God blameless, and that's really all we should be pursuing. That doesn't mean the world's going to be okay with it, and it doesn't even mean he'll deliver us from their repercussions because he's always teaching. So she's now making an accusation, 15. As soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of this house. Well, now that part she's got right. Listen to me loud and clear. Some of you are teetering on disaster in the sin category right now. You're watching, you're listening, or you're in the room. Get out of the house. That's figurative. For some of you, it may need to be literal. Whatever it is, go the other way. Underline, get out of the house. He, he fled and got out of the house. He left the situation. You know why he's not having sex with this woman? Because eventually he just had to leave the house. And what you're going to see what happens to him next, you don't even see God's grace in it. God really, you're about to see, is going to deliver him out of this situation. Because you think this woman is not going to be a problem for him forever now? Then she laid up his garments by her until the master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Underline, fled out of the house. All right, so don't you hate when you, you, you watch these kind of events? Because we're all screaming, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Somebody please vindicate this. I can't. When people do movies like this, I can't. I, sitcoms, I can't watch. It drives me crazy. No, that's not what happened. I'll be screaming at the TV. That, that's not what happened. And, and so, and, and don't you hate that? When something like that, when somebody's getting the wrong story or the wrong idea on something, you're screaming, somebody work this out. And, and so the master, now who do you think he's going to side with? His wife? or some Hebrew slave that he thought was a good worker. <laughs> and see, she's trying, this is Satan himself saying, Potiphar was seeing Joseph and seeing God in Joseph, and he was being drawn to it. 
I've got to put a mark on Joseph if for no other reason I can't have him because he belongs to God, but I don't want him to get to Potiphar. I don't want him to be this witness to the one and only living God in this house. That house belonged to Satan, and he don't want to give it up. I mean, Joseph is standing in the presence of the one and only living God right now. I don't know about Potiphar. So as soon as his master heard these words, verse 19, that his wife spoke to him, this is why your servant, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Well, that, that's kind of a downer. I mean, you do the right thing, you get put in prison? Yeah, sometimes. Because it's not about whether you're going to go to prison or not. It's about whether you're right with God or not. I would much rather, hey, this is a right downer, I would much rather be in prison right with God than in Potiphar's house compromising God. I'll take prison. Would you rather be in prison right with God than in Potiphar's house compromising God? So you can't live for the pleasures of the moment. I've been there. I used to live that way. I'm speaking from experience. You can't do that because the pleasures of that house will go away and all that will be left is that you're not right with God. But if you get out of the house, people lie about you, and you get thrown in prison, I would almost feel safer in prison right with God than staying in that house with Satan continuously after me. Because at least in prison, it's me and God again. Miserable, but I still got him. And I'm still sitting there in prison in front of him and him looking at me saying, well done. You didn't compromise me. You passed the test that I allowed to happen. You think that God couldn't keep the Potiphar's wife off Joseph? Of course he could. He tested him. Y'all okay with that? That God allows us to be tested? He doesn't tempt us to sin, but he does allow us to be tested. Why? To see if we can be trusted. to see if we are really what we claim to be. And Joseph passed the test, and you just got to know that you can pass the test and still be in prison. I just won't love you enough to tell you the truth. Look at 21 to the point that I was just making. But the Lord, another one of these but God statements. Yeah, I, the, the the master's mad at me. He believes his wife. He believes horrible things about me. I've been put in prison. My goodness, I'm in the place where the king's prisoners are confined. I'm there in prison, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. That gives me chills. Hey, you're in prison, but I'm still going to cut you some slack. I'm going to get to the person that could really abuse you, and I'm going to win him over to you. 
even in prison. The fact that the Lord was so with Joseph, even the keeper of the prison began to like him, just like Potiphar did. And it wasn't Joseph that everybody kept being drawn to. It was the Lord with Joseph. Remember we said when we become a new creation in the new covenant, it's now Rick in Christ. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing about Rick that should draw anybody to me. But there's everything about Christ that should draw somebody to us. I'll be honest with you, me without Christ, you wouldn't want anything to do with. I might show you a good time for a few hours, but sooner or later you would regret knowing me. But in Christ, I can point you to what he can do for you. And he's changed me. And it'd be okay to be friends with me now. Not because of me, but because of Christ. And even this keeper of the prison was used by God. I love this. And to continue to show Joseph what? His steadfast love. Because it'd be real easy, wouldn't it, right here to say, you abandoned me. And God quickly is letting him know, I didn't abandon you. I've got you right where I want you to be. I'm working out something. Just stay with me. Have faith in me. See, we know the end of this historical story, don't we? But right now, Joseph doesn't know it. I did the right thing, and I'm in prison? Yes, but I'm still with you. And I'm going to pour out my steadfast love on you even in prison because I'm doing something. Do you believe that I'm doing something? Do you trust me that I'm working out this in my perfect plan and for your benefit? Do you have that kind of faith? See, I was glad to give good news about Bubba's diagnosis and the latest news, but Bubba said it today. We said it on the air. Bubba could be just as faithful to God and got something different today. And that also would have been God's plan that he's working out. See, because I know that there's a lot of you, and I've done it too, we've prayed just as hard for people that didn't get a all clear. We prayed just as hard for Bill Searcy, didn't we? And we got Billy for a little while. But eventually, the disease killed him. Did we just stop praying? Did it, did, was our prayers not earnest enough anymore? No. But I'll tell you this, when I stood at Billy Searcy's deathbed, all these things God had allowed to happen to him had pushed him so close to God that he couldn't wait to see him. And he died exactly when God thought it was best that he die. Because Billy Searcy lives. And Bubba got a great, but I'm going to tell you, Bubba's not going to ever live here the way he'll live there. And sometimes God says, I just need you to keep working a little longer. But the rest will come. Really, Bubba's diagnosis today, you know what it was? You still got work to do. But the day will come when our work will be over. Even when he comes to get us, or this old 
earth suit finally withers away. And it will wither away. So even in prison, we still have a deliverer. Somebody say amen. 22, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. Does this sound familiar? Who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The exact same narrative about Joseph is now being walked out in prison that was walked out in Potiphar's house. Okay, so the, the, this is our final thing, then we're done. So what is God telling us in this last little bit? He's asking about our integrity. He's asking about our devotion to him. You say, Rick, what are you talking about? Listen to me. If God takes you and me, and I think everybody in this room, as far as I know, claims to be redeemed. I don't know what's going on out there. You know, and some of you may be seeking. But if you are redeemed, what he's saying is, if I take you and place you in any situation, do I get the same result? Joseph just moves to a new location and is just as impressive and people start falling in love with the Lord that's with him. It's obvious the Lord's with this guy. I can't help but put him in charge. God's steadfast love is on this guy. So I was in charge in Potiphar's house, which was probably very nice. I passed the test that I wasn't going to sleep with Potiphar's wife. I fled that sin, got in trouble with Potiphar, got wrongly accused of something I didn't do, got put in prison, and when I went from Potiphar's house to prison, I'm so entrenched in the Lord God Almighty that the way that I was perceived in Potiphar's house, I perceived exactly the same way in prison. Are we the kind of people that only seem to show the Lord when things are going the way we want them to? Or whether we're in prison or whether we're in Potiphar's house, we got the exact same attitude because no matter what's happening to us on earth, the Lord's still with us. The Lord's still with us. So it really makes it when I, I remember the, the whole deal that, that Sherry and I have, have gone through and we went through with, with Bronner's death. I remember honestly, this is God. This isn't me. This is God. Sherry, same way. I didn't even remotely think that my relationship with God was riding on whether Bronner lived or died. It just wasn't. Because I, I, I knew what I had been redeemed of. I knew who God was. He had taught me all about him. I knew that he was with me. And I knew that he was with me. And I'm just trying to, I'm just waiting on what he's going to decide to do. I promise you that. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Doesn't mean it doesn't matter. I don't think Joseph's thrilled about being in prison, but he knows the Lord's still with him. Would he rather be in Potiphar's house if this woman had not started coming after him? Probably a better gig. But it had nothing to do 
with his devotion to the Lord or him doubting that the Lord was with him. That's the key. We may have preferences. Don't ever think you hear me saying, well, I don't really care whether my son lived or died. That's not true. Of course I cared. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I didn't have any doubt that the Lord was with me whether he lived or died. The Lord never changes who he is no matter what happens right there. In my relationship with God, it may get stronger, but there will be no abandoning God if it doesn't go the way I want it to be because I'm just too entrenched in him now. And that's the mistake that the adversary made against Joseph and makes against all of us that God already knows we're going to pass the test, and he's laughing. What a chump the adversary is to think that somehow attacking those that are with the Lord is going to diminish the Lord. Really, what happens more times than not, all it does is glorify the Lord even more. I, I, I remember walking out of, of that emergency room and walking into the lobby and the Holy Spirit, because I couldn't say it, the first thing that came out of my mouth was Satan has grossly miscalculated this. He should have just left us alone. All we're going to do is glorify God even more now. He'll be defeated more in this than he would have been defeated if he just left us alone. This was a huge miscalculation on his part. Not because of who I am, but because of who God is. And God's going to be glorified in this. And everywhere we go, we see that the Lord is with us. And everywhere we go, he pours out his steadfast love. And everywhere we go, people look at our situation and go, there's something about that man, there's something about that woman, the Lord is with them, regardless of their circumstances. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this today. Thank you for the, the challenge before us, but also at the same time, the affirmation. And I'm, I'm looking in the eyes of these guys in the room, man. They're ready to go. Uh, Lord, I just see you refining all of us. And that should be the case. We've been at this a long time in here studying your word. And we know that you're with us. I pray for those that may have joined us for the first time today, and you set up this message so that they would hear it. And this was their moment. This was their time. They needed to hear what you said. I pray, Lord, if I can help them any way you draw them, to you. And if they need to reach out to me, I pray they do. If you are listening to this or watching this, you're like, I, I need I need to know more. I need to talk to you about something. That's fine. Rick at BurgessMinistries.com. Maybe you're not sure that you would pass the test because you, you're not sure you're with the Lord. Well, just repent. He's waiting on you. He's not going to run from you. Just turn from your sin and turn to God and say, I, I, I leave my sin, and I want, I want you to be with me. I, I, I'm leaving faith in myself. I'm leaving my own authority, and I'm going to submit to you, and I want to come under your authority. I repent of my sin, and I confess you as my Lord. Save me. If you're sincere, he will. If I can help you with anything else and you want to let me know about that, just reach out to me. I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Guys in the room, I pray that God's hand upon you as you go out now and continue the work he's called you to. And I pray, Lord, that you'll continue to, um, to draw us to you, grow us, and we thank you for your steadfast love that never leaves us, regardless of our circumstances. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Thanks for being with us.